hundreds of stories, documents, photographs and videos produced by people from all over Europe. My History is a European Parliament project involving members of the public whose histories are entwined with that of Europe. On the 19th of January 2018, the 80th anniversary of the introduction in Italy of fascist race laws, Liliana Segre was named Italian Senator for Life by President Sergio Mattarella for her very valuable services to the country in the social field. Born in Milan on the 10th of September 1930, Liliana Segre survived the horrors of the Auschwitz concentration camp. She belonged to a wealthy middle-class Italian Jewish family from Milan, for which religion had always been of secondary importance. For centuries, my family had been a very well-established part of Italian society. My anti-fascist father and fascist uncle had served as officers in the First World War. My family was also resolutely secular, not to say atheist. Liliana was not one year old when her mother died, and she was brought up by her father Alberto with the help of her paternal grandparents. She attended a state primary school in the centre of Milan for two years, until the summer of 1938, when her father worriedly told her that she would not be able to return the following October. The fascist race laws had come into force, and students were not the only ones affected. Because of these laws, the school closed its doors to me. The Italian Jewish minority as a whole found itself excluded from every walk of life, including the teaching profession, education, clubs, telephone directories and everything, from the Roman rag merchants who were now forbidden to sell all manner of items, to university lecturers, professors and authors. None was spared. Even mathematics textbooks by Jewish authors were no longer admissible for use in schools. In other words, members of this minority community were simply being cut out of society in their own country, not for anything they'd done, but simply for having been born. At the age of eight, I felt this keenly, because a child that's been expelled through no fault of her own remains nonetheless just that, a child that's been expelled. In fact, when Mr. Mattarella asked me what I thought on entering the Senate, I replied that inside the senator there was still a child who'd been expelled. Eighty years afterwards, there I was in the Senate. But a hurt child remains a hurt child forever. Alberto Segre enrolled his daughter in a private school to enable her to continue her studies. Over the next five years, Liliana, who still didn't understand what she'd done wrong and why she'd been expelled and taken away from her teacher and classmates, began to realise that things were inexorably changing. Over the years, we gradually became invisible. The telephone no longer rang. Everyone began to avoid us, apart from a very few friends. But those are true friends with a capital F, the friends who always stand by you. In the meantime, the hate and violence were increasing. The laws became more draconian. And from being an Italian citizen, you found that you'd become the enemy and were forced to go on the run. In 1943, Alberto Segre, who until then had chosen not to leave Milan in order to remain with his elderly parents, understood that his family was in grave peril. 
he attempted to escape from Italy and take Liliana over the border to Switzerland. We tried to escape, over the mountains of course, not through customs as we would normally do, but the Swiss caught us at the border and turned us back. We were then arrested. At the age of 13, I was sent to prison, or three prisons to be precise, in Como, Varese and Milan, my city, the city in which I was born and bred, where the San Vittore prison still stands. Liliana spent 40 days in San Vittore prison in Milan. Then, on the 30th of January 1944, she was deported from Platform 21 of Milan Central Station, where the Shoah Memorial is located today, to the concentration camp of Auschwitz-Birkenau. She arrived after seven interminable days of travel. She was immediately separated from her father, who she never saw again and who reportedly died on the 27th of April 1944. On the 18th of May 1944, her paternal grandparents were also arrested in Inverigo, in the province of Como. A few weeks later, they too were deported to Auschwitz, where they were killed on arrival on the 30th of June 1944. When we arrived, I was separated from my father and left all alone, at the age of 13, among strangers. I didn't know why I was there. In fact, I was the pariah among the camp inmates, the stupidest, unable to speak their languages and without the remotest idea of where I actually was on the map. I survived by pure luck. Liliana was processed on arrival at the camp and tattooed with the serial number 75190 on her forearm. The number remains imprinted inside us, deep inside. As far as I know, very few survivors had the number removed. There may have been a couple, but apart from them, we all kept our tattoos. The shame attaching to it belongs to the person who put it there. I'm certainly not going to hide it. For the rest of my life, it never failed to arouse surprise and curiosity, particularly during the summer months, especially before tattoos became commonplace. People would sometimes even tease me about it. A particularly ignorant lady of around my age even remarked, Oh, you've gone and got yourself a tattoo. For about a year, Liliana was assigned to forced labour in the Union Munitions Factory, which belonged to Siemens. During her time at the camp, she underwent three other selection processes. I was a worker, or rather a slave, at the Union Munitions Factory and I survived. I was one of the youngest inmates. I can remember two or three of the others. Despite the fact that they were only four or five years older than me, they at least had a little experience of life outside. I was all too aware that I'd been a spoilt little girl, mollycoddled to the last, accustomed to only the best. Where I was now, those a bit more accustomed to using their wits would manage to obtain an extra scrap of blanket or a ladle of soup. But I was completely out of my depth. I've always been that way, which makes me even luckier to be alive, since I've never been able to judge the lesser of two evils in any situation. I just carried on naively, unlike many others. A few were even less resourceful than I was. But there were many who were far more, more artful, more quick-witted. I was more like a babe in a storm-tossed wood, let's put it like that. All these years later, Liliana Segre still can't believe it. She seems unable to understand how she could have survived the Holocaust. 
Io avevo una vita, avevo avuto una vita privilegiata prima proprio. I'd enjoyed a privileged existence, wanting for nothing, with unlimited love and affection from my grandparents and the rest of my family. Honestly, it was an extraordinary quirk of fate that my life was spared, since I was just a branch in the storm. Then I decided to stiffen my resolve and take things in hand. As I always say in my writings and when talking to young people, life is not a funeral march. We must put our best foot forward and live it to the full. That's how I made myself stronger, how I became what I am. At Auschwitz, Liliana Segre was reduced to skin and bones, suffering unbelievable acts of callousness, for example at the hands of a nurse who used a pair of scissors to slice away an abscess that had formed beneath her armpit. On returning to her hut, on what she describes as one of her worst days in the concentration camp, she met another inmate, a woman she didn't know, who took a thin slice of raw carrot from a dirty bag and offered it to her. There were acts of kindness and solidarity, but they were very much the exception. Because when you have nothing, nothing, when you simply have your own body covered in tatters and nothing else, when you're in that kind of situation, kindness is a commodity that's very hard to find. When you do find it, you treasure the memory like a rare and precious jewel, a moment of joy that nothing else can ever equal. But you need to understand what it means to have nothing in order to realise how great an act of kindness the gift of a small slice of carrot can be. E allora scoprire che una fettina di carota cruda può essere un grande atto di solidarietà. At the end of January 1945, Liliana was taken on the death march towards Germany. Finally, on the 1st of May 1945, she was liberated by the Red Army from the Malchow satellite concentration camp. Liliana still remembers how the Germans attempted to avoid capture by the Soviets and how she was tempted to take revenge on one of them. La persona era l'ufficiale che comandava l'ultimo campo in cui sono stata, questo campo di Malchow nel nord della Germania. It was the commandant of the last camp I was in, Malchow in northern Germany, and there he was, right beside me, changing into civilian clothes. He didn't even see me, because after all, what was I? Nothing, an object, a stuck, as they called us. He tossed his pistol away too as he tried to leave that identity behind him. We were on a country road outside the camp. I saw the pistol lying there, and all I could hear at that moment was a voice inside me urging me to pick it up and shoot him, because in that way, it seemed to me, justice would really be done. But in that moment, I realised that I was not like him. And that's what I always tell my young audiences. I'm different. And my decision not to take the pistol, or even try to take it, made me realise my immense good fortune as a victim and not a perpetrator. I could never kill anyone for any reason. And so, I didn't kill him. I could not do it now, and I could not do it then. It was at that moment that I saw the person that I would become. Not the stupidest person alive. I never felt that. But a woman. That's what I mean. On her return to Italy, Liliana first went to live with her father's brother and his wife, and then with her maternal grandparents. However, after the horrors she'd lived through, nothing was easy or straightforward. 
era difficile tornare nella società cosiddetta civile e riaccettare. It was quite an ordeal to return to civilized society and accept once again all those rules, all that respectability and conformity that had allowed people to just look away and let events take their course. As a result, the next few years were very hard for me. I found myself going through a personal crisis. It was really difficult for me to relate to other people, especially those of my own age. I felt I had nothing in common with them, with other 15-year-olds who just wanted to go dancing, and who could blame them. Of course they'd suffered too. They'd been through the war, evacuation, bombing and rationing. But they'd been through it all together with their families, not alone. In fact, it took a great deal to help me recover those lost years, and I threw myself into my studies. Three years later, at Pesaro, Liliana met her future husband, Alfredo Belli Pacci, who'd also survived the Nazi concentration camps. He'd been sent there for refusing to join Benito Mussolini's Italian Socialist Republic, which controlled the areas that had not fallen to the Allied advance. Finally, after three years, at the age of 18, I met the love of my life, who was to be my husband for 60 years. He passed away 11 years ago. It was then that I truly turned the page and began to heal the wounds inflicted on my body and soul. At the age of 65, Liliana Segri decided to start telling of the horrors she had witnessed. For years, I was tormented by the feeling that I'd failed to do my duty. And so, year after year, as I recovered, as I began to have a life, a peaceful life, lucky enough to become a mother, to nurse my children, enjoying motherhood to the full, little by little I felt a growing feeling of guilt at failing to have done what I should have done for all those I saw go to their deaths, for all those who did not return for all those things we try to tell ourselves did not happen for a thousand reasons. And so, year after year, I built up my resolve. And when I became a grandmother, I realised that the time had finally come. I didn't know whether I would actually be able to bring myself to speak. In my little company where I worked until a few years ago, I never, ever had been called upon to speak in public. I've never had what you might call any exhibitionist tendencies in that direction. Speaking to younger people in schools became increasingly important. I started off slowly with small groups, one class at a time, and then it all gained enormous momentum. After speaking to one school, I was invited to speak to another school. After addressing one room, I was invited to address larger rooms and then to speak to four or five thousand young people in the Bologna Stadium. Over the years, over the years I've been meeting them and speaking to them as a grandmother would. I never speak of hate or revenge. I speak as if I was speaking to my granddaughter, in whom I see myself as a child. Racconto cosa è successa a questa me stessa, che ormai è mia nipote. 
Senator Liliana Segre has some very firm ideas about the dissemination of hatred for anything different. I believe that this hatred has grown and festered over the years. It's not that certain ideas didn't exist before, they've always existed. It's just that the time was not ripe to express them. We've had a brutal war, we've had democratic governments and many other developments. The time was not always ripe to unleash all the anger and hate that have once more revealed themselves. But that doesn't mean that they didn't already exist. Liliana Segre is determined to do everything possible to curb the hate and intolerance that affects our everyday lives. When I entered the Senate at such an advanced age, there were certainly limits to what I could do. However, I wanted to relaunch an initiative that had already been unsuccessfully attempted. So I set up a parliamentary control commission on incitement to hatred or hate speech. I'd seen how words become deeds and deeds leave their mark on individuals and entire nations, destroying their hearts and souls. Liliana Segre insists that we must all do our part if hate and intolerance are to be defeated. I believe that everyone, every individual man, woman and child, instead of succumbing to the temptation to side with the oppressor, should ask themselves why. As the writer Primo Levi liked to say, understanding is impossible, but knowledge is necessary. So, knowledge should teach us. Knowledge of history should teach us not to hate. In this, we should follow not only the great thinkers, but also those who think on a more modest scale in small communities and take the lead through their good deeds. These are fine examples to follow. I'm a person who doesn't hate, and who teaches people not to hate, even though I have every reason to hate and to teach people to hate. That was My History, a project run by the European Parliament in collaboration with citizens from all over Europe. If you're interested in other European Parliament podcasts, you can consult the Europal audio website or visit the My House of European History portal.